like that's sort of what I, what I grew up with this yeah. this really questioning what is religion and um how that kind of affected me as an adult was that it it stoked my curiosity in a mm-hmm. way that didn't make me resent the church yeah but it really made me wonder what else is out there mm. and what is my spiritual journey going to be right. right and how do I want to connect to God and to the people around me right. who who if God is made if we are made in God's image divinity is in them as well yeah and and I think like when you find like a poetry community you hear these stories mm. from people on stage mm. and like you hear godliness in it yeah. for me Season two, episode seven, and I tell y'all today is going to be something else. I am thrilled that my partner in crime in this podcasting world, the indomitable Zach Blunt, is stepping out in front of the mic today. Not that that's really a problem for you at Mm -hmm. all, but Mm -hmm. we'll we'll get to that. (laughs) Zach is the technical director for Applying Jesus, but that is really just one small part of what this very remarkable person is up to on a weekly basis. I want to tell you a little bit about him. He is an artist, a writer, and a lifetime learner. He holds authenticity as his highest standard. Generosity, empathy, compassion, gratitude, and love finds every page and canvas he chooses to strike. Zach's work is dynamic and unprecedented. The breath of fresh air that fills the spirits of those who don't feel as deeply as they once did. Okay, that's good. (laughs) You you must do a little writing, I think. A little bit, a little bit. (laughs) His art has received over 10 million views online, and it has been featured in, uh, or on Afropunk, We Are Matu, Right About Now, Button Poetry, Culture Clash Magazine, Culture Clash Magazine, and more. Zach is a Grand Slam, Lord, this is the important part, too. This is going to be part of the outtake. (laughs) Right, this is it right here. Zach is a Texas Grand Slam Poetry Festival finalist, an individual World Poetry Slam finalist, and currently ranked fourth at the highest level of competitive poetry in the world. That is, that's, I didn't even know that there was competitive poetry, but um, we'll, we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. We'll get to yeah, that. Yeah. So Zach and I have been talking about having this conversation on this podcast for a while now, ever since the first time we really talked about the state of the church and the work he's done in the past with youth by teaching poetry. Poetry. I can't even say the word. Poetry. I wanted to feature his voice and perspective, especially because season two is intentionally different from season one. In season two, we're talking with folks hard at work, reimagining what it means to respond to and reform the issues within our society. Zach is that vision and such a cool, cool person, man. I'm just so <laughs> glad you're here. Thank you for coming on today and yeah. sitting in the hot seat yeah i'm happy so. to happy to be here you know like um i don't think a lot of people get to wake up and go to work and enjoy it most days right and i do you yeah. know like that's that's pretty cool so um <laughs> and part of it's because like i don't know what i'm gonna do most days mm-hmm. you know i'm gonna come in and i could edit i could write a poem i could be on a podcast right you know i could teach a class to, to kids right like i can do so many things there's so many options when i come to work which is pretty dang cool yeah yeah and that feeds that creativity for you that spontaneity yeah yeah I, th- I think it does i think that like actually like since i've been at chapel with like i 
they didn't even know how like much freedom I had to do whatever I kind of want to do. And so like recently I've been like, yeah, I'm just going to start doing, doing stuff more around this place, you know, shake it up a little bit. So I, I, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I love the shaking up of the things, all the things. So I'm, you know, I'm glad to, to talk to you as well, even though I keep calling you Gen Gen Z, you're not Gen Z, you're a millennial. I'm a millennial. (laughs) And I'm Gen X. And so, <clears throat> For me, excuse me, that intergenerationality conversation is sorely needed mm-hmm. because it just, there's not a lot of forums where that happens. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm talking to people my age, you're talking to people to your age. Yeah. And so, uh, but we That's need to talk true. to each other. That is very true. I think, I think you're exactly right about that. And like, I think what makes me a unique millennial and what, what makes those not just millennials, but those people who do stretch outside of their generation mm. unique is that they're a little bit more malleable, mm-hmm. you know, like, and this is why I advocate for young people so much is because like, I understand that their voices are important, not only because they are the future to lead this world when we're no longer here, mm-hmm. but also because we are the current leaders. Um, and as current leaders, we have to lead for everybody. And bring them into the fold and not be hardened and stuck in our ways that doesn't work for them. Right. right? And um, I think this is the conversation around society and culture right now is about how do we how do we respect everyone's voice. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And not not silo them out, but also still do a good job and lead in one direction. And that's a really hard balance for anybody to strike. You know, can't put it on a president, can't put it on you know a, a senator you know so it's yeah. it's up to each individual to understand that it's all of our responsibilities to like be malleable and listen to those around us young and old right yeah absolutely i just uh, on sunday this past sunday i preached about act six the first big conflict in the early church and you know what stuck out to me and something i even mentioned is the process that the early church went through and the apostles went through to name you know, to, to be led by the spirit to name these seven guys that would take care of the issues of the unequal distribution of food was, um, you know, this was creating second generation faith. This was the process by which you'd involve other people in the leadership and thereby the faith would get passed on. Because what ended up happening is three of those seven guys, <clears throat> well, one of them gets martyred, but two of them go and uh, take the gospel to other places and to other people that uh, ended up, you know, spreading it far and wide. And so, you know, we've talked about this so much and I've mentioned it so much on this podcast that the, the fact that the church usually doesn't ignore or ignores or doesn't see or doesn't pay attention to the, even the opinions of youth is very dangerous to me. I had a friend tell me, months and months ago she said you know our faith is only one generation away from being extinct yeah and so that's why you're here is because your passion your passion for the young people (laughs) (laughs) but uh, you're also teaching them how to craft their voice and how to be leaders within their own spaces so um, and that's where I originally became aware of you is oh, through wow. through our kind of class. Yeah, through yeah, and the work you were doing with them, and and your your speaking that you've done. 
um, here at Chapelwood and other places. Mm -hmm. So, and then I went and internet stalked you and saw <laughs> all the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all the pieces on Instagram that you have, um, which we'll talk about a couple of those too. But. Which is a lot. Which is, is I always like am surprised the amount of work that I've done. Yeah, and I always don't think I'm doing as much as I am. Right. Um. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you know I think I find it so interesting that as a creative, you're you like to wake up every day and not quite know what you're doing. I'm, I'm very much the opposite, <laughs> but I think that has to do with just stage of life and family I, I, situation. That's exactly right. I, yeah. I, as I get older, I'm like, I, I need a schedule. <laughs> I want to be able to afford to hire a personal assistant mm -hmm. because this is not, this is, it's hard. It's hard to, <laughs> to not be organized. Right. So like I've been going to the gym every morning lately yeah. and that, that, that's a great start for my day. Yeah. So I can like start to put things in order. Right. So I'm working on it. I'm building okay. to it. <laughs> right. That's good. That's good. I, you know, I, mine's just a little different cause I got people and pets that I have to like keep alive. Yeah. And they want to go, they have opinions on where they're going. So, yeah. And what they're doing. So I just, you know, air traffic control. That's what I do. <laughs> and then you just add ministry to that. And essentially, it's just air traffic controlling, just for a different group of people. <laughs> That's what my job is. So, yeah. um, but I, so I want to talk about before we talk about your work with youth. I want to talk about your poetry. Sure. Since we're on that vein, so first question: How did you get into it? Were you always crafting when you were little? Were you always crafting little songs or? Yeah, um, I wasn't. I wasn't actually like my my origin story of, of an artist starts with drawing right okay. my mom very artistic person uh and she i'm one of five kids okay. um at this time when i'm explaining the story i was one of four mm -hmm. and so we would always just draw and do arts and crafts like every summer whenever we were out of school my mom was really good about that and um i would always draw and show her we'd all show her when we're done and she praised everyone and when it came to me she was just very very critical of it hmm. very critical of it hmm. and it always bothered me or rubbed me the wrong way but there's one time where um i knew i did a really good job and again we brought her our work she praises everyone and she gets to mine and she points out all the flaws mm. let's just start crying mm. and you know basically i'm just like you always criticize me or really really tear it up you know yeah and she's like oh i do that not because you're the worst but because you're actually are the best and mm. i want you to grow in that you know and it was so pivotal of a moment for me it's the moment i started to consider myself and see myself as an artist mm. and the way i think about artistry might be different than most people mm -hmm. because people hear artists and think visual yeah well i think the artist is the creative mm -hmm. um and in this day and age it stretches from digital media to traditional crafts yeah. um and uh so from there the the road just winds and mends and mm. i'd started writing uh raps like i used to rap when i was young <laughs> it was funny i rapped in, in in this um church that i grew up in yeah. you know and was writing like these gospel raps or whatever and then katrina hit and i came to, to mm. texas and um still still rap still made music uh but also played football, also still painted and and well, was drawing, then started to paint mm. and really unlocked some stuff for me and went to mixing media, interdisciplinary arts. Um, and it was always it was always just really big for me. And it was always something that 
um, I never felt overwhelmed, but thinking it back on it, I want to, I wish I would have like sort of just focused and honed mm -hmm. in on one, yeah. you know, and you always say that in retrospect, but uh, it, it, it all really led me to where I am now um, in the sense that I was working at this job, corporate America, and it was my friend's birthday and she wanted to go out for her birthday. She wanted to go to this place called Avant Garden. And um, it's in the middle of Houston. It's a beautiful uh, bar with a patio in the backyard. And me and my friends would go there every Thursday night at the time. This is the night where it was like 50 cent wells at the time. <laughs> inflation look, messed that up. Look, inflation look, messed look, that up. I'm of the generation at Texas A&M where it was like quarter. Yeah, not quarter, but like nickel. Nickel Oh, drinks. my gosh. It, yeah. I, nickel beers. Whew. Right. <laughs> Whew. No wonder we all grow up with drinking problems. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Uh. So it was like this cheap thing that we would do on Thursday nights. We're all in, in college and everything. So it was real, it was real chill and we'd go and do that. But um my friend's birthday fell on a Wednesday night. Mm. She's like, I wanna go. I'm like, bet. I'll meet y'all there. I'll get off work pretty late. I'm so late. glad I know what that means. <laughs> I'm so glad. By the way, if you're listening, you you don't know what bet means. It means let me fill you in. It means good. It means good. It means like, good. Yay, it means awesome. okay. It yeah. means I concur. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we got to translate. Remember, yeah, it's yeah. not all you know. It's, For sure. Right. <laughs> so so we go to this spot, or they they're at the spot. I meet them there, um, and I go to where we normally go, which is to the back patio, mm -hmm. um, and sun was so shining it was, it was springtime right after day like saving and um i get out there and there's these people doing poetry in this circle mm. right and i was like what what is going on here this yeah. is wild i've never seen something like this in person and um so i text them i'm like hey where are y'all at because they're nowhere in sight and they say we're inside and i mm. say yo come outside <laughs> they're doing poetry yeah. and they go no <laughs> and i'm like all right, it's your birthday. So I, I have to go because in respect sure. why we're here. But I do ask the person who, who was there, the door person, hey, what is this? And when are y'all going to be doing this again? Mm -hmm. And they say, it's right about now and we're here every week. Oh, wow. And I literally never stopped going from that day. That was back in 2016. And wow. so now, like, yeah, I'm because of that, that's where my poetry career starts. Because okay. seeing... Seeing people um, write and perform poetry, mm -hmm. lyric, um, without music accompanying it was, it did something for me. Yeah. It, it made it very impactful. And as a lyricist, that's, that's everything for me. I really want people to listen to the words. The yeah. music is really nice, but like these words, they, uh -huh. they, they hold something. Oh yeah. I'm a word and, person too. <laughs> that's what I always notice first about a song. Yeah. 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 And I think that uh, we're, where music in popular culture is right now, that's not the case. And that's fine for, for what music is, right? But like there's something to distill yeah. in in having lyrics. And uh, I think spoken word did it for me. Mm -hmm. And so I just never went back and dove headfirst into it. And yeah. that brings me to that wonderful bio that you read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was like the, the moment where if you were Peter Parker, you got bit by the spider. That was like unlocked your superpower. 
you know, I would say the superpower was already unlocked through mm. through music, right? Like I was never a bad writer. Yeah. I mean, I, the this songs that I created, yeah. yeah, I was I always enjoyed. I think that again, it was able to distill it down to just lyrics, and you know, you cultivate that that talent. I, I'd say the the the, the spider bite mm-hmm. was not a singular moment, but it was being in the presence of other poets who helped shape me and build me and, and yeah. were mentors to me and yeah. cultivated my, my writing, mm. which I'm immensely grateful for, you yeah. know? Yeah. What's that community like? Are they gentle and welcoming and opening or is it intense and critical? And It is 100% the most genuine community that I've ever been inside of in my life yeah um more so than the church yeah more so than any other art community i've existed in Mm. which is a lot yeah um and and i think that's the reason i go back to it every week ritualistically um and yeah i i I always want to juxtapose that to like all these different communities that i've I've been a part of i went to different music scenes i've I've been to i've been in sports right and whereas there's camaraderie in in all of these sorts of things there's always clickiness yeah as well and with with right about now when the poets that i found when i first started coming it was open arms Mm. It was open arms. It was nothing but love. It wasn't criticism on the poem until I was ready to receive that. Mm. You know, it was yeah. like we we kind of have uh, this this rule through poetry, uh, and it's um, you know, we say uh, it takes a lot to get up here and be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can let me know if my poetry spoke to you or if you liked it. If you didn't like it. Don't tell me. Mm. <laughs> That's sort of like like an unspoken thing that some yeah. poets will, will say on stage. Yeah. J- and it, it really just means that, hey, we're being vulnerable. This is a space where we can just share our truth. Right. And that's more important than the craft right. in these moments, right. you know. And when we want to hone that craft and, and get better, then we'll seek that out, yeah. you know. And it's a thing to where, yeah, I, I did seek it out. I wanted to grow in 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 the craft that I was doing and and yeah it was always there yeah I think that spider moment was a learning how to implement those literary devices yeah yeah wow and I just keep I keep going back to that one instance with your mom too where you know she said it she criticized you because you were the best not the worst Mm -hmm. I, I wonder was that pivotal for her as well Hmm. And y'all's relationship. Yeah, that's a good question. I have to go back and ask her. I'm going to yeah. go and ask her. As a her mom, and... I'm like, <laughs> those, you know, that, that's the, as you're, you know, as you're a parent, as you're a mother, that you, you grow up along with your children. Mm-hmm. And what their experiences shape who you are as a person, too. So I'm, I just, I, I wonder about that. Get yeah. back to me. Let me know. I'll, I'll let you know what, what comes of that. <laughs> I will say saying? this, yeah. you know, like I, I think, you know, I always credit her as my first teacher, mm. um, first mentor. You know, I think that with any with any mentor, with any good teacher, you outgrow the lessons that yeah. they're able to teach you. Right. You know, um, as a mother, I'm not outgrown her. Right. You know, but well, as a you, you yeah, yeah, you can't. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but as a teacher, I yeah. think I think I've surpassed what she has to offer me, right. and I think she understands that, and I think yeah. she's very proud of me. Oh, I'm so. sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Does she 
you know, in one of your um, your poems, I don't remember the name of it, but you talk about it was like how you how how I love you can be said different ways. Ah, yes. Yeah. And yes. I don't remember the title of it, but um, riots in the space in between our hearts. It's the name of the long okay. one, but yeah. Is it a is it a long poem? Because there was it was just a little clip that I yeah, it was a little clip. It's a much longer poem than that. Yeah. It's about three minutes or so. I'm just wondering yeah. if that's another example of that that there was there's ways that your mom tells you she's proud of you but without coming right out and saying it yeah my mom not so much more so my dad Mm. Uh, that poem is like really interesting you know just to break it down just a little bit it's really you know when you hear the whole thing in its entirety it's really a critique on um masculinity and Mm. and aggression Mm. right and how like it's not I don't think aggression is inherently a bad thing. Right. Men have just used aggression to start wars and be violent and, yeah. you know. Dominate, control. Yeah, yeah. And that's not the only utility, you know. Right. And the idea of that poem is like, we can give really aggressive hugs, right. you know. And that's <laughs> right. okay, right. you know. And um, you can be really excited about things and that's fine too, you know. And so, like, it, it was really a a look on aggression in a way that could be positive Mm. um and so with that right like things that you say that are affirming that aren't explicitly good job or i love you right Right. um yeah that that was the that was the idea and i think that's something that men do a lot men do a lot it's like a a whole nother language layered on top of those those already really complex relationships that we have (laughs) with one another right right um well, let's talk about your poetry, too, specifically. Um, and this is one I want to send to my middle daughter because uh, she's struggling with the use of the N-word. Mm. And because she, she hears it, she's in a public high school, and she hears people not black using it. And I, I want you to break down that poem specifically because the, the clip I saw. And so the the full-length performances, are there on your YouTube page or... Where can people find those? Um, they, they're on YouTube. Most likely you can find it on my website, exactly.com. Okay. Yeah. But um, typically all of those are probably on Right About Now okay. as well. So you can YouTube Right About Now, find it there, or on Instagram or Facebook, wherever yeah. you're at. Right? Okay. All right. But you, you talk about in that, the, the tag is it's hard to be woke and or hard to be fun and woke at the same time. Yeah. It's hard to be woke and have fun at the same time, yeah. you know? And I I don't find it less challenging or find that there's any less tension in, of that in the yeah. world. If anything, it's only strained right. um, since uh, the before times. Um, <laughs> but I, I I like yeah, that might be one of the most powerful lines I've ever written. Yeah. And yeah, like, do you want uh, do you want me to speak to your situation with your daughter? No, or just no, like just, talk I, about the. Well, I I just mentioned that because that's gotcha. a real yeah touchstone issue for for her right now and struggling with that especially as a white kid in the public school yeah so um anyway I, but you know the you you'd go real deep about how the use of that word by people who are not black mm-hmm. is offensive yeah you know like actually i'm gonna be even more specific right i think mm-hmm. the use of that word by white people was offensive mm-hmm. to me the use of that word by other people of color can be but the mm-hmm. way i i really describe it is that uh are we on the same ship, right? Mm-hmm. Are we on the same ship? And and what I mean by that is like, uh, I understand contextually, culturally, people grow up with words yeah. and language and 
in a lot of cultures, a lot of Mexican cultures, in a lot of um, even Asian American cultures, uh, that word's inundated um, because they grew up tangent to black hoods. Right. Um, and so really, like, I, I, it's very complicated because how I really do feel is, like, intent matters in those situations, right? right. Um, the intent of that word from a per- another person of color, a fellow person of color, can be ambiguous, yeah. right? So that's something we have to sife through. That's something that we have to sit with and figure out what, what, is, what is your intent? Why are you using this word? Is it a cultural thing? Is it a slight? Is it you trying to appropriate? Um, now, when it comes to a white person using that word, I just don't think there's a place for it. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that there's a way they can wield it um, and not have it sting. Yeah. Well, all the history comes rushing back. Yeah. Behind that word. So, we, I mean, we don't. <laughs> she's asked me, she was like, we never use that word. No, we never use it. It's yeah. just not something that needs to pass through our lips. It's. Yeah. No. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you specifically talk about a situation where you're, where, I don't know if you were at a concert mm-hmm. or you're watching people sing Kendrick mm-hmm. Lamar lyrics. Yeah. And those included the N word. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a weird thing because it's like, and this is the tension of the poem, right? It's yeah. like, you know, I want to have fun. I want to go out mm-hmm. with my friends. I want to have a good time. And, and those moments sober you up. Yeah. They really remind you that this isn't an escape <sighs> from yeah. everything outside of this concert right now. Wow. Um, it all exists within this, these walls, too. And wow. uh, with that, with that, the idea that there is no escape even when you're trying to escape, can you still find joy, happiness, um, and ability to be uplifted within those moments? And I think that's a battle that everybody has to take on personally. And I choose, I choose joy. (laughs) I'm going to always choose joy. You know, like, um, there's just not, there's just not enough hate that can come toward me that I'm going to absorb that that's going to knock me down. Like I've, I've suffered with depression in my life. Mm -hmm. I've, you know, had to uproot my life to come somewhere else. I've had real uh, bad stuff happen to me, you know, and I refuse to hold those things and soak it in to where it weighs me down and keeps me at the bottom of the pool. You know, I'm not going to be a sponge for that. I'm not going to be a sponge for that. The same thing in these situations, you know, I'm not going to be a sponge for, for people who want to wield racism against me. Just not. Right. Right. Um, Well, that's, good to hear and i'm glad you shared that and i i have a sneaking suspicion that your friend group is pretty diverse yeah absolutely so you have these kind of conversations (laughs) inside your 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 people groups yeah you know it's really interesting you you bring that up right like i think a large part of my friend group is hispanic Mm. you know uh i have white people but also you know black friends as well right and we all vary in opinions on a lot of different stuff. Right. And one of the things I really value about my people is that we can think really hard about these things. We can get into very intense uh, discussions about these things. And halfway through, we can all laugh at what someone said because right. it was hilarious. And then go right back into mm-hmm. the debate. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's really rigorous. It's always challenging. And there's also a lot of love and a lot of laughter right, within it. Right. And so, like, within my friend group, that tension of being woke and having fun at the same time, it's there. 
Right. Right. And I think I think my friends is the reason I'm able to exist mm. well in this world. Mm. Um, but outside of that, right? Like, and I say outside of that when really like that's the real world. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Going into the simulations of social media, <laughs> it is not that. It is right. very hard to exist, right. and and that's really hard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and when you talk about you're choosing joy and finding joy in those moments when you're with your people, it's because it is rooted in love and then you can build from there versus social media is not social media is there for performance, for appearance, for promotion, you know, all of those things. A lot of different things, right? Yeah. I was talking with a, a friend of mine too, you know, how, how interesting it is how people navigate their social media profiles and what they post and, you know, the most popular things on my, this is probably why I have like f- less than 500 followers, which my nine-year-old is really impressed. <laughs> so I'm just going to stick with her. But, you know, it's like cat videos, <laughs> dog video, you know, like I'm, yeah. it, it is truly my life. That's what I post. <laughs> not, you know, I'm not driving to. I'm like, y'all Listen, just come along with the. I love the cat silly. videos. <laughs> Everybody loves cat videos. It's crazy. And I wasn't that person growing up. Right. I hated it, actually. I was right. like, why? I, I didn't like cats. Like, I didn't like any of that, right? <laughs> now, now I will take a good cat video over a Facebook debate right? every day of the oh, week. Oh, yeah. Because it's joy. That's where the joy is, yeah. right? And, yeah. and the break right? Yeah. from mm-hmm. the intensity of the world. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, I want to talk, too, about this particular poem, and then we can talk about... Um, working with youth but um your poem because it's in it's particular to this podcast since it's called applying jesus but you have a poem Ah. modern day jesus yes yes and the thing that in in the clip i gotta go back and watch i'll go back to your website and watch all the full length okay Um, because spoken word wasn't something that i grew up with or that i was exposed to so it was only really as part of um the upper room oh gotcha and i've become aware of this art form in particular. Um, But the line where you talk about how you're speaking to Jesus saying that, you know, your death does not make me feel safe. Mm. I was just like, wow. Yeah. Because as Christians, we take quote unquote, so much comfort in the cross Mm -hmm. when real in reality, it is the worst death imaginable. Mm. I mean, that's, that's debatable maybe, but, um, it, especially at that time, it was the most shameful thing possible, but you bring, you bring ancient Jesus into the modern day mm-hmm. and talk about what he would look like, what his experience would be. Yeah. So I, I'm not exactly sure what my question is, but, um, I'd love to hear more about the formation of that. Yeah, yeah. I'll just give context for listeners and viewers um, about that poem. Poem talks about black Jesus, basically. Mm -hmm. Modern day Jesus would be a black person. Right. Right. And And probably was pretty dark originally as well. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Not white. And, you know, it it really compares him to a black man in America and all the things that that a black man goes through in terms of being persecuted for no reason at all. Um, and, and so, yeah, it really, it really speaks to that, that juxtaposition and those, those real crucial, uh, contrast and comparisons between Jesus and the experience of a black person in America. 
when you get to the end, particularly this part that you're talking about, mm-hmm. your death does not make me feel safe. This idea that we find solace in um, Jesus dying for us, absolving us of our sins. We get to live this this wonderful life in heaven, um, in the afterlife, right? Mm-hmm. We in, spend eternally there, eternity there. It's great. That's fine. Like, you love it. You got to love it, right? right. Um, but we exist in this world, too. Right. And for all the struggle and pain that, that this world comes with, um, to me, there's a sense that it shouldn't have to be like that always. Mm-hmm. I think this life holds tension and we mm-hmm. get to choose the tension uh, that we want to have. And I don't think that I don't think it's much of a choice when cops are confronting black people and they're losing their lives or they're p- getting uh, sentenced to jail for something that they didn't do or they just have to deal with the hassle of it. Right. Like, I don't think that's I don't think that's a tension that one chooses. Right. You know, and and I don't I don't think that's fair. Um, I don't think it's justice. Uh, I don't think that. That's something that gives me comfort or makes me sleep at night about the story of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, with that being said, I, I think, you know, if you listen to Paul, I think Jesus is great. Right. right. I, I really like <laughs> I really like guy. Jesus and <laughs> and everything he stands for. And one of those things, right, that wasn't in this poem, but I write about often is is the amount of empathy that mm. that Jesus has um, so much so that he was able to die mm. because he understood that he understood his enemies. Right. He understood that this is the only way. Yeah. Right. And so <laughs> do I, the, the question is, do I want to have enough empathy to be willing to be a martyr? Mm. And when, at the time of writing that, no, I, I didn't. I, yeah. I don't I don't care to do that. Right. I don't care to do that. Uh, now I have those days where I don't care to do that. Right. Um, but but more than anything, I try to like really lean into that empathy. I think I think, uh, you know, the altruistic version of Jesus mm-hmm. is to the nth degree mm-hmm. to the where you'll be so kind and, and compassionate that you're dying for these things. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't think most humans are capable of that. Yeah. But that's the goal. Right. Right. And so every day I try to get there. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So you grew up in church. Yes. So um, so how has that and this will be a good segue into our conversation about the ministering to the next generation or being with the next generation, whatever, whatever we, we end up calling this. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the titles come out of the recordings. So. <laughs> um, but so how has what you experienced growing up not only shaped you, but how has it changed as you've gotten older? So I guess give me some background on what your religious life was growing up. Yeah. So when I was, when I was young, you know, I grew up in the, in the church or whatever, which is fine. Um, but then probably when I was like an adolescent, like 13, yep. 12, 13, 14, started asking a lot of questions, oh, yeah. right? Very curious person. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it was not making sense to me, hmm. was not like, and, and I'm not an idiot, you right. know? No. So like, <laughs> I'm really asking things in Bible studies and I wasn't satisfied with the answers, mm-hmm. you know? And um, I, I still kept with it, right? I still considered myself a Christian. Um, and I, 
throughout all of that, I, I was never really satisfied. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I really questioned, like, well, am I, am I a Christian? Mm. Um, do I really believe this stuff? Does mm. it really add up? Um, how did I, in my ancestors, come to find uh, Christianity in the yeah. first place? Yeah. Had had slavery not happened, would we know Jesus? Right. right? All of these very deep, intense, hard questions yes. to answer that are still being debated I, by yeah, people like, far smarter than smarter than answers. Me. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know. And and so like I really, really sitting with all of that. Uh, yeah, I really kind of stepped away from the church yeah. and, and Christianity. And it's as I come back into the fold of of this world, um, kind of, sort of, because. It's a very white church, but yeah. Yeah, it is very white church, but I think it also, you know, with the leadership of John, I think is also yeah. a very, and just Methodism in general, yeah. methodical church. Right. And I think more than anything, what, what didn't add up for me was the interpretation of the word without mm -hmm. the principles put into practice. Yeah. Right. And I think one of the good things about Methodism is that it's a lot of practices, Yeah. you know, and so like. Regardless of what one might believe about the world, mm -hmm. I, I think that practices will keep you grounded to mm -hmm. people. And yep. that's in some ways, I, I do believe that that's divinity. You know, yeah. like when we when we can be here for each other, when we can show up for each other. These are spiritual connections. These things don't happen in isolation. Right. You know, so I that's that's sort of how I feel about it. Um, that probably gets far out from where you were were you originally asking me but <laughs> like i said i didn't even didn't really even know what my question was yeah. <laughs> but I, I think i can like kind of come back to where you're trying to say right so like that's sort of what i what i grew up with this yeah. this really questioning what is religion and um how that kind of affected me as an adult was that it it stoked my curiosity in a mm -hmm. way that didn't make me resent the church yeah but it really made me wonder what else is out there mm. and what is my spiritual journey going to be right. right and how do i want to connect to god and to the people around me right who, who if god is made if we are made in god's image divinity is in them as well yeah and and i think like when you find like a poetry community you hear these stories mm. from people on stage mm. and like you hear godliness in it yeah for me right yeah yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we've so grown up in a Western frame of mind where God has to exist only in the church. Then mm. that's where you have to come to experience God versus, you know, God happening on the street. And that's where a lot of, historically, a lot of these different movements in the United States, as far as the church has come from, where, you know, people have been pushed out of the church and then they find God on the outside. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know... I, I don't, I, I've had my own struggles with the church, not just within the last two years, but just over the course of my adult life. And, you know, I went through times where I'll never forget Sunday morning and I was like, I'm not going to church. And my dad was like, 
you live under my roof, which was so out of character for him to say. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, you live under my roof. You're going to live by my rules and go to church. And I was like, well, okay. Um, <laughs> like, there wasn't a, a whole lot of fighting. Yeah, it, what can you do? <laughs> we've all been, we've right. all had that conversation. Right. We right. know, we right. know. Right. And I grew up in the heyday of Methodist youth group. And mm-hmm. I, I know that still goes on, but you know, like we used to do lock-ins and my nephew did a lock-in a couple of weekends ago. And I was mm. like, what? Like, I <laughs> never leave my children locked into a church. Like, what What would they do? Like, <laughs> trouble would they cause? Anyway, I digress. Um, but I think it's it's one of those where I feel like what I've been learning from, especially my study of Hebrew and, like, the the structure of the Jewish faith is questioning and doubt are essential parts of the process of spirituality in the Jewish faith. And so that seems to be something that we've lost as a Western church. Um, maybe not everybody, but it's, it seems to be making a comeback where it's okay to ask questions Mm -hmm. because if, you know, if one, God doesn't need us to defend him Mm. if he's really God, but also that that is what enriches the actual journey. You're not just on an, you know, those moving walkways in the airport yeah. where you start out, you get baptized at seven and you live the rest of your life in the church. That's yeah. great if people can do that. That's not my story. Yeah. And and I hope it's not the story for my children either. I've mm. always told them that, you know, if they've got questions, just ask them. I may not have yeah. the answers, but um, you know, I don't I don't think that I don't think what may die between the generations as far as Christianity and and what we're we're doing and what it will look like will necessarily be something that we'll miss going forward. Yeah. So with that, I think I think of two things. Mm-hmm. One, I think you're exactly right. Um, curiosity has been like stifled in yeah. the church, yeah. and it's been more of these are the rules. Mm-hmm. Follow the rules. Right. Don't ask questions. Right. Um, as it comes back in the form that it comes back, it doesn't come back in a way that is necessarily necessarily curious, in my opinion. Right. Like mm. like uh, if you do ask what I found is you do ask questions, there's always an answer. Yeah. And right. I don't know, pastor such and such. <laughs> I don't know if you have the answer for everything, you know? <laughs> and so like, and they don't, right. But like, I, I think like, yeah, there's trust built when you're able to right. say that. Right. And so like, probably for my generation and people after me, there's a lack of trust there because there's mm-hmm. not a willingness to admit when we're wrong yeah. or to admit that we don't know. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's, that's one thing that I think about. The other thing that I think about to what you said was this idea that, when we when we stifle the curiosity of young people, it's it's not really it's not really stifling their curiosity. It really just goes into a different direction. Right. In a world where social media is so prominent, mm-hmm. it's very easy to say these are the rules in the church. If you don't like it, <laughs> I don't care. Mm-hmm. They're gonna say, Cool, I don't care either right. and go find something on their phone that they care about. Right. Right. And so we're not really nurturing their ability to be in spiritual spaces mm. so much as we're pushing them out of deep 
substantive stuff mm-hmm. and they go on tiktok and watch dance and silly videos yeah you know right and so how do you nurture their ability to get deep yeah versus like just we're gonna we're gonna stay surface level because you don't like this stuff and i'm forcing it down your throat right or it's so it's so light it's so I think you used the word substi- substantive. <laughs> substantive. Yes. I, yeah. I don't. I can't say it enough. I don't. <laughs> Sorry. Substantive. It's one of those words. <laughs> I, mean, I think the things that contributed to my spiritual formation were acts of service when we would go and we would serve other people. But in general, and no shade to youth group leaders or anything like that. You know, the goal, the goal necessarily shouldn't be attraction. Like, yes, it should be fun because adolescents, teenagers, you know, adults, that's a main portion of what they want to do is have yeah. a good time yeah. with their friends. Um, you know, my oldest daughter is involved in Young Life. And so they have a whole lot of fun. And mm-hmm. that's that's great. But I think you're exactly right that we we leave out the substantive piece, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the, the places where they can they can not just ask the questions, but seek their own answers. Yeah. Um, whether that's in scripture or whether, you know, we don't wrestle with them. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is that it doesn't always have to be in theology. Right. Right. Like I was talking to uh, one of the, one of the folks here about young adult ministry mm-hmm. and like, where has it gone for, for young adults? Yeah. And um one of one of the things that I thought about is the comparison is is really like elementary school, right? Yeah. We know kids have a lot of energy that build up, and so they can't just sit still in a classroom for the entire day. Right. So what do we do? We let them go outside and play. We give them recess. We give right. them time to get away from books, right. to get away from uh, traditional classroom learning styles, right. and to associate with each other to play with each other to right. choose to have choice in what they want to do right. in that 30 minutes an hour which is right? also learning which can also be very learn helpful yeah. to learning and, and yeah. nurture their creativity in all kinds of different ways right yeah. they really build in that social space. skills all of that absolutely yeah. um and so the idea is where is recess mm. in the church <laughs> right like we don't get a break wow. from theology I don't care where you go in this building. It's going to be centered around the Bible. Right. And the Bible is great. But again, we can't live in this world with a book. Yeah. You can't drive and read the book. Right. You know, you got to be paying attention. You have Mm -hmm. to apply that stuff. Right. You know? And so, like, where is spaces for us to step away from the book? And just exist with each other, mm. you know? And maybe that's a game night. Yeah. And a game that has nothing to do with right. with the Bible, you right. know? Maybe that's, oh, we're going to get up here and watch basketball game. Right. You know, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't care, movie night, whatever. Right. But, like, you have to offer times where uh, these things can, can, can have synergy. Yeah. Well, and, too... <laughs> It's like the the idea, and I just laugh because being in church leadership, it's there's always a tendency to say, okay, how can we legitimize this? Yes, by yes, very you true. know, can we can we have a prayer? Can we have a 
a scripture read or, you know, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of let's just get together and hang out because sooner or later it's going to turn to something deep. And mm-hmm. I happen to believe God is always in the deep, mm. whether, I mean, there's a book of the Bible, Esther, where God's name is never mentioned, but mm. his action is clearly on display. Yeah. So again, God doesn't need us to necessarily mention his name in yeah, order for him to be working right yeah absolutely yeah. yeah so so how that translates to again our, our attraction and appealing to the younger generations how do you get you know how do you get the word how do you i don't know how how do we enable young people to have faith of their own you can't force anybody into what they don't want for themselves. Right. Aaron McManus said something really cool a few weeks back. I saw on this, on the mosaic IG page Mm. and it was about accountability Mm. of all things. Right. Mm. He goes, uh, a person is going to be accountable or they're not, you know? And, and basically what he was saying is like, like we have this idea of accountability buddies and partners or whatever. And it's like your friend groups, they don't, they can't hold you accountable. Right. You have to hold yourself accountable. They can help you. Right. They can they can recognize where you're striving and help give you the tools and the guidance to get there. Yeah. But it's not very helpful whenever you're getting off track for your buddy to go, hey, you're not doing the right thing. Because you're going to say, ah, I know, I know. Right. And then you're going to go when that person's not looking and continue not doing the right thing. Right. So you can't force anything down anyone's throat. Right. Young people alike because young people are, whole people and i think that's part of the problem we think that they're not and we think that they that they're different they're exception and so we can force them to do things that we can't afford we can't force adults to do and that's just not the case they have their own journeys they got to find it for themselves and so you can only offer it right you only uh provide a space for them to get really deep into the nitty-gritty um and some of them will go there and a lot of them won't right and that's fine because at the end of the day, this is the other thing. Mm. They have time. Mm. They have a mm. lot, a lot, a lot of time. Yeah. And we got to be a place and a space that's going to give them room to, and the grace to grow within that time. Right. We can't, we can't be too rigid to where um, we're not giving them room to make mistakes. Right. You know, right. I think that uh, that's a big problem that I see with a lot of people I know is that we're not being kind to people who are messing up yeah. and, and we're, we're writing them off and, and shunning them away. And I'm just wondering, how did you get a second chance? Right. You know? Right. I think most, most people would try and paint the picture that they did it all right from the beginning. Mm. But yeah, that's not my story either. I mean, I spent 15 years away from the church and it was that those formative young adult years. I didn't want anything to do. With, I mean, unless something bad happened. <laughs> but then I had the foundation. I could go back there. And I don't feel like God was ever like, well, could, could you hurry up, right? Like, yeah. come on back. Yeah. Speaking of somebody that's got time, I mean, God is eternal. Yeah. And I'm more and more beginning to think that he's probably really young. Like, eternal doesn't mean the old guy with the gray beard right like that's true yeah 
<laughs> I don't want to step on anybody's doctrine here, but <laughs> but you know, it's 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 this opportunity I think for creativity, for um, you know, just to have space to have fun, but also to you know explore different aspects of God. This uh, explore whether it's through scripture or things you're wrestling with, just what what is possible. And that, to me, what the word I heard when you were talking was, we have to be available for that. Because that all exists within relationship. Yeah. And within community. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, we've got to make, we've got to make time for the young people. That has to be a priority or, or it won't. Yeah. It has to be a priority and we have to know that they're not going to get it always right, right away. You right. Know? And so. Yeah. Because we didn't. Yeah. I'm not speaking for you. I sure. mean, yeah. we, my generation, you know, me in particular, I did not. I still don't. So uh, you know, one of the things that stood out to me in your bio is, you know, lifelong learner. Mm-hmm. That's so right. it, aren't we all? Yeah. We should be. Yeah. yeah. That, make, that, that, make, that makes life exciting. Mm. It, it does. It really does. Exciting it does. And, and a reason to wake up in the morning. Like, what am I going to learn today? Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, <laughs> how do you talk to um, somebody, a young person who thinks they know it all already? How do you model that lifelong learning? Do you check them on that or do you? No, never, never. Mm. I'm, I'm learning. I'm curious. Mm. That's how I, that's how I handle it. Mm. Like, oh, teach me then. Yeah. You clearly <laughs> know, please. <laughs> Give me some of that information. See, uh, so you don't say that with any <laughs> level of sarcasm at all? Really, no. I, I yeah. really don't, right? So, like, <laughs> to be honest with you, I really go into it with yeah. this idea of, like, oh, I I hear what you're saying. Mm. I have my notions about what this might be. Yeah. Let me see if I'm right. Mm. Let Before I assume that, let me check it. Yeah. Right? And so I, I check that with questions, right? Yeah. I'm trying to think of sort of an example I can get, right? right? Like, like I, there's just... There's just one kid um, that I used to teach who would have these different ideas. They, you know, thought they knew about love and, and all this mm. sort of stuff as, mm-hmm. as every every person probably thinks they right. do, you know? At every different stage, yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> it, it was really interesting because there was another teacher in the room, mm. right? Really old school, real old school teacher, you know? And I'm more so inclined to agree with this young person than I was that, that older teacher. Yeah. And, um, you know, she goes and just starts telling him, preaching, you know? Mm. And I, again, like... I, I try to treat people like people so that curiosity uh, rather than checking implies is, is imposed on the adult as well. Yeah. And so in this particular example, right, before I can even turn and like be curious about what this young person was saying, the teacher started preaching. And so mm. I was curious about her. And, you know, that curiosity can cause a lot of defensiveness mm-hmm. a lot of the times. And so like that that came off in that way a little bit, you know, yeah. uh, and I'm a pretty empathic person. I yeah. can tell when someone's reached their limit. I know how to simmer it down, <laughs> you know? And so, like, you you play with the ebbs and flows of that. You push yeah. the buttons to see which ones are working right. Um, and you say, huh, note it. Yeah. And now they have something to think about, you know? Right. It, you don't have to... Like, the, the it, like I, I really see 
um, as a creative, I see the the world as inputs and, and outputs, uh-huh. and like the brain is just gets so much stimulation, so yeah. many inputs all the time, and we get to produce these different outputs with the intersections of all that stuff that's coming in, and those questions are things that people sometimes have never even thought about. So those questions are inputs, right. you know? And so now they have something mm-hmm. to think about. Right. So that, that, that's teaching them. Yeah. And, and that's learning for me, you know? Right. right. Yeah. Well, and that's, those are in biblical language. Those are seeds. You're planting seeds yeah. through questions. Yeah. yeah. And asking them to, to turn it, like turn it and look at it from a different perspective. Yeah. So it's also an invitation uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and an come invitation, back when you when you when you think you know. Yeah, and not an invitation with an agenda. And I think that's where, to me, where the church truly struggles is that all of our invitations have an agenda behind it. Yeah, yeah. And, I, I mean, I I work for a church. I know this, and and I can say that most of the time when I have conversations with people, when I'm calling people, it's because. I have an agenda and mm-hmm. I have an ask. Yeah. And we joke about that. It's <laughs> usually how I lead. Hey, <laughs> you know, I'm calling. I've got a question for you. But, um, you know, it's it's just interesting, I think, especially for this, for your generation and, and for younger people, that it's that the welcome and the invitation is so critical without baggage that comes along with it. Um, and that's where I, I feel like the church is viewed as we've just got so we come with and that even the beautiful ancient things the tradition the liturgy that all comes with baggage too and so it you know it's it's a it's a pivotal moment for for our nation in general um but especially for the church too because of just our our history with all the bad things and all the baggage and you know how do we how how do we invite people into young people specifically in into reimagining how we can we can do community and and do we just let them figure it out themselves but you know i'd like to be a part of that too intergenerationality is huge for for growth anyway i'm rambling no i'm i'm just listening and, and taking it all in for sure yeah like i think i think you're exactly right like that intergenerational part mm-hmm. is important and I think the way you've been back is to be malleable, to be plastic. There's a poem that I've written. I think it's mm. the most important poem that I ever wrote mm. um, that we didn't uh, have a chance to talk about. But it's it, it talks about time, right? And, and in this poem, there's a line that I say, you know, there was once a time when the concept of love was just as foreign as a theory of relativity. Mm. Yet they both have always existed through time. Hmm. And I feel like we all have a relative that says some problematic stuff, yet we have always loved them through time. Right. And that's the crux of the poem, right? Yeah. It's What's like the name of the poem? It's called End Time. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Like I end time? Yeah. It, okay. Yeah. And you know, the the whole idea you look it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really it's a really cool poem. But the whole idea of it is to really think about not only that accountability part that we put on that younger people put on older people, Hmm. right? How sometimes older people are unable to bend, you know, or they break. Um, But also as we move forward, are we going to be like that? Yeah. 
Are we going to get brittle? Are we going to lose our malleability? Mm. Right. And so it's a challenge on both mm. ends. Like one, hey, hey, old people, stop doing that. But also <laughs> um, to young people, hey, yeah. as we move into the future, are we going to do that? Mm. And this the the climate and the culture and the state of our country now is just proving that we are going to do that mm. and like i'm really hoping that we get it together and they're able to like be more expansive than this right yeah so how do we do that can you solve that problem <laughs> <laughs> i think that that's like going to be one of the classic questions of this podcast is how do we save <laughs> how do we solve this world problem yeah uh, yeah um I don't I don't have an answer on how to solve it. I think that it's like up to any up to every individual to mm-hmm. keep their heart open. I think empathy really can can solve it, you yeah. know. I don't I don't know if you ever read of um or heard of uh Parables of the Sower. Yeah. Yeah, like Oh, that is a crazy book and her hyper empathy. Yeah, whew. you know, and the concept is Octavia Butler? Octavia yeah. Butler, the, the concept is so interesting of this hyper empathy as a disorder or disease right like and when i think about it right like i said earlier like this idea that jesus was the epitome of empathy Mm. therefore Mm -hmm. he was able to be a martyr yeah that's the goal right that's the goal that our hearts are so wide open right that we're able to sacrifice ourselves for each other and if everybody lived into that then like seriously i don't think you have a problem right you know and that's always been what is the incredible potential of the church is that's the foundation of our teaching right and so we can create those spaces we have i mean the the whole every time somebody goes to a hospital or goes to a doctor that's something that was founded in christianity is something that christians did um, because it wasn't available mm. and because human life was is should be valuable every human life should be valuable to wow. christians i didn't know that yeah yeah salvation army is a great example of that too um are those things perfect no but you were talking about this this earlier um it's the now not yet principle where we're living in that in-between time you know jesus came lived died rose again ascended and then we're waiting for the final completion. And so you've got this, this opportunity. But every time you peel another layer of the wrapping paper of, of the present that was given, you know, it's, it's not the full, complete picture. Anyway, I'm, I, again, I'm rambling. But um, <laughs> I just, you know, how do we, I guess here's my question. So, and she'll probably be listening. And so, you know, she'll. She'll be annoyed that I asked this question, but you know, are, are if you were to sit down and talk with our youth director, how would you explain to her, or what would you say to her, where we're creating this opportunity for youth from sixth grade to high school, and then you know, <laughs> the question I think for every church is, what do we do with them after that? But um, you know, h- how do we create these spaces where adults are accountable? but they're available as well they're creative they're fun it's it's kind of like the but 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 also giving them the chance to create a space where they can experience god for themselves without the prescription i think Mm -hmm. maybe that's the other thing is there's a prescription of how things should be 
the traditional piece, mm-hmm. you know, piece of it. Yeah. But, um, you know, so how do we encourage creativity and freedom at the same time, you know, being, I guess what you would call an elder now, mm-hmm. um, I know that I have wisdom to offer too, that I've mm-hmm. made a lot of mistakes. So don't, don't do this, you mm-hmm. know, try it a different way. In fact, that's always been my prayer for my girls is that uh, they would not make the same mistakes I did. Yeah, that's always a hard one, um, yeah. that juxtaposition. Um, to go back to yeah. the idea about asking the... like, yeah, How would you help down. us at UR Heights set up our... Yeah, I would first, again, like lead with curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd ask, how are y'all doing it? That's, mm-hmm. That would legit be my first question. How yeah. are y'all doing it? Yeah. You know, and from there we can we can talk about okay what's what's going well there Mm. you know what's not going so well there um but on a more a more practical level i guess like i i'd say or that's a practical level on a more like Mm. i guess um heady level um really i think it's about like what i that that part like being curious like Mm. When that person walks in a door, are you asking them how they are? Are you asking them what they want? Hmm. Do they want nothing? Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Give you nothing hmm. until you don't. Hmm. And they're going to quickly not want nothing anymore because kids' <laughs> heads right. move all around. So right. it's really about watching and paying attention and hmm. waiting for their hearts and their souls and their bodies to be open to whatever you're willing to whatever they're willing to receive. Yeah. That's another important part, whatever they're willing to receive, not whatever we want to give. Mm. You know, we want to give them, like you said, we all have our agendas, right? Yeah. Um, I understand. I know. I get it. We want to teach them about the Bible. We want to teach them about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but we have to let that, let that open up over time. Yeah. We can't like rush it out. Right. Um, how do you, how would you counsel a church that, also feels the need to be relevant and use technology and to to reach younger folks versus just creating a space to me yeah i i'd encourage it Mm. i'd absolutely encourage that you know you want to be able to be you want to have the wherewithal to leverage the tools that are available to you yeah um now you have to be and this gets into a whole nother conversation about about how technology works and how these social media platforms monopolize attention um, for money and how that sort of brings us to a plateau Mm -hmm. of um, an echo chamber of creating a certain thing. Um, And that's not what you want to lean into. Um, But also on a more general wave, there's ways you can leverage that kind of technology to work in the favor of of your mission. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to put the pin right there. (laughs) And next time you're going to come back and we're going to talk about that. Okay. (laughs) So you're editing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's what we're going to do next time. Well, thank you for stepping in front of the mic again. Everybody go look them up on YouTube. You're website yeah. zachblunt.com x-a-c-h-b-l-u-n-t.com yep that is <laughs> that is the one. Oh well thank you and you're amazing that's the most overused word in the english language <laughs> you are you are the epitome of amazing and i'm so glad to be in partnership with you on this and yeah this is a it's a really fun conversation i'm happy to talk to you and ramble on about my thoughts sometimes all right let's do it again for sure okay <laughs> all right Applying Jesus is hosted and produced by Amy Vogel, Director of Spiritual Growth for Upper Room Heights. 
We record at Chapelwood United Methodist Church Digital Studio in Houston, Texas. We hope something you heard today has deepened your faith, opened your eyes, and led you to not only knowing God in a more expansive way, but shift how you connect, especially with those who are easy to overlook. To find out more about Amy and our church community, go to www.urheights.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Remember, we love you, and there's nothing you can do about it.